0: That time has come, and we get to dig into the book of Acts. I'm so glad you joined us this morning. The last two weeks, Sharon and I were away, and we had the opportunity to be able to be part of the online community. And that doesn't always happen much for the pastor. So it was so encouraging to be able to hear a message and to enter into worship. For us to be able to be challenged by Pastor Willie and the opportunity to hear from our elder chair, Nate Gardner. We are blessed here at this church. And I'm so grateful that for those times that one of the shepherds is gone, that this place continues in just a very dynamic and real way. You know, 221 is here. 2021, But odd continues. I mean, when this whole thing started last March, we, we thought again it would eventually stop. And maybe it will. But realistically, it just seems to keep going. I hear this more than ever. I wish this was over. I can't wait for normal to return. Normal for an Ikea worker her in the, who is serving in the cafeteria, just wishing that she didn't have to go back and forth and do the things that she's doing. I, I hear that from students. If I could, what is it? Hybrid. Is it Zoom? It's a little discouraging. What about work? Do I work at home? Do I? And all that gets a little bit out of whack. Sports. But especially for the church. Normal, the way that I see it, is that it would be life before COVID-19. But I have to be honest, there have been events that have changed normal forever. Some of those pictures up on the screen, you'll remember. Some of you remember when President Kennedy was assassinated. I was in third grade. <laughs> there weren't TVs in every room. Uh, but the teacher had a radio. And we would listen. Listen. And everybody was quiet. Politics changed. I think the Challengers explosion in 1986, when we were all so excited about space travel and everything like that, and 73 seconds into liftoff, all of us saw smoke. 9-11. We're all old enough to remember that. And trying to understand and and news report after news report and just literally changed everything. And now COVID-19. The devastation that COVID has brought, the worldwide impact, the polarity, and the unknown long-term effects on our economy, our politics, and the church. You know what was interesting? The first three events that I mentioned up on that screen caused people to flock to the church. I don't know if you remember that. But the latter, not so much. You know, there is good news, and that is none of this has caught God by surprise. His plan all along has been the church, and his plan hasn't been derailed There are challenges for sure, but many more opportunities. So I will say, be excited, be encouraged. It's time to enter our new world with hope and promise and enthusiasm. You may not be convinced that normal will return. (laughs) I think you'll be in good company. Because I don't think it will. Not the way we saw life less than a year ago. Our world has been changing. The pandemic only accelerated it. Rest assured that the mission of the church hasn't changed. But the church is going to look different, feel different, and be different in the days to come. What a perfect time to open up the book of Acts, where the church literally was birthed. You see, the church was birthed in a hostile first-century environment. The church was challenged, yet resilient and triumphant. God used the church to fulfill its divine purpose in spite of all these obstacles. God assembled a grand mosaic and used the cultural turmoil to display His grace all over the world. He used normal people who were transformed by the Holy Spirit to spread His Gospels and, starts com- and start communities of faith literally everywhere. The Holy Spirit living in every believer was new. It was awkward It was wonderful. You know, the church had no history. (laughs) There were no protocols. There were no buildings. There were no constitutions. Believers were forced to depend upon the Spirit for direction and for power. In many ways, our world has drastically been changing over these past years. But our churches have not. The virus has forced the church to evaluate. The church. Yeah. You know, the church may have closed its doors, but it was never closed. And it's easy for us sometimes, as we kind of walk through these last nine months, to be able to throw stones at other churches, or our church, or other organizations. Well, why don't they do this? Or why don't they have faith? Or how come the ministry seems to be thwarted? Well, for me, I'm just observing. And in some ways, mourning. See, I'm evaluating my role as a pastor, my leadership, and and wondered at times, didn't I prepare them well enough? Why couldn't I have acted faster? How come there was so much despair? Well, you look at all of these scenarios. And I want to just encourage you that, hey, the church's mission remains the same. Methods do change, but they always change. God's priorities are clear, but ministries evolve. The church. Has it been sensitive to the Spirit's leading and been courageous to make changes in ministry or budget that need to be made? Remember, the greatest commandment is to love God. This relationship starts when each one of us come to a place in our life and we recognize our sinfulness and receive Christ as our Savior. He paid the debt on the cross so that each one of us might be reconciled back to God. When that faith relationship begins, well, we have a couple choices. We can nurture that relationship And grow in our intimacy. But the truth is. Many of us get comfortable. Not only in the church. Just even personally. But we will never ever ever drift. Into a great relationship. Whether it be marriage. Or with God. Intimacy requires. Requires intentionality. And it means we must spend time with God. We must spend time in his word. We must spend time in prayer. We must spend time listening. We must spend time responding. That's what a relationship is. A second commandment that Jesus gave, which he said is equally important, is to love others. To love those inside our walls, those whom we have relationships with, and those who are outside our walls, our neighbors, our co workers. Loving others again requires intentionality. The Great Commission is to make disciples. And what's making disciples? Well, it's helping others love God and love others well. Discipleship also requires intentionality. So all these things still are our mission. Some of you know, but I had an opportunity to go up to Nicolay Bible Institute this last week. And up on the screen, you'll see the students there. But for one week, I... Basically, poured into these kids what God's mission is for the church. Now, I I didn't start off that way. We spent four days just focusing on who God was, how amazing God was, how loving God is, how cool it is to be able to have a relationship with the Almighty. And then to be able to use people all the way through the Scripture who took advantage of that and nurtured a relationship with God. And then I was able to spend time in teaching them how to connect with God better. And lastly, the last day, which was the most exciting day for me, is to be able to help them do the same thing that I had just done with them for three days that they might be able to help others love God, help others love others, and then to encourage those disciples to do the same thing with others. You know, yet, overall, the church, if we look at it, not only in our Lake County, but really all over the states, has been a good neighbor. Just not the unstoppable force that God has designed it to be. Now everybody likes a good neighbor. But did God form the church to be more than that? You know, so many are busy doing good things. But fruit is sparse. Transformation is spotty and even times non-existent. Comfort seems more of a priority than sacrifice. Baptisms are sporadic and even unusual. More time is spent in resolving conflict than making disciples. Church splits outnumber church plants. People are self-focused and like to complain rather than encourage. Congregants have lost their first love, both for God and for others. And members often fear man more than fearing God. Perhaps, as we look at the church, maybe God's shaking us up. Maybe the cultural turmoil is forcing us not only to evaluate the church, but evaluate ourselves. And maybe the pandemic is a blessing. No, I, I, I'm not saying the hurt and the pain and the death and the agony. That's never looks good. But what happened? If, in spite of the pain, it causes God's church to have a blank slate, to be able to literally look at what He wants to do in and through us here, what a perfect time to open up Acts! What a perfect time to see how the early believers responded to chaos and anarchy and how God, even in their lives, used persecution to literally push them away from Jerusalem into the whole world. Let's pray before we open up the book. Lord, I come before you. I, I know, Lord, that as you look at your church over these last 2,000 years, there are times you've smiled and there are times your heart has been broken. God, I'm not exactly sure on all the specifics, not only of Crosspoint, but all of the churches in our area. But I ask this. I ask that you would give us fresh perspective of who you are. That your word would transform us. That we, Father, would be able to allow the Holy Spirit to change our thinking and change our actions. That we would not just, well... Be part of a church, but be your church, looking to you every day, receiving the divine appointments, and being the unstoppable force that you designed it to be. God, so many of us have read the book of Acts. We get inspired at times. We get convicted at times. But we would ask that you would do a perfect work today, that as we open up this book over these next months, that you would transform us as leaders and as people and as a church and that you would do your work. We pray, Lord, that you'll continue to surprise us. We pray that we would be more dependent upon you. We ask you, God, that... that it would be undeniable that you are moving in our midst. That nobody can take the credit for it, just you. We ask all these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. We're going to be jumping just around a little bit. Of course, we're going to start in the book of Acts, but we're going to be in Matthew and look at Luke just a little bit. But let's read where the church is mentioned for the very first time in the New Testament. So if you want to turn your Bibles or your flat screens to Matthew, Matthew chapter 16. If you want, you can follow along behind me on the screen. But I'm going to start reading Matthew 16, starting at verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Let me just remind you, this is probably in the middle of Christ's ministry. He's already gathered his disciples. He is already pouring into them. And so Jesus stops and just asks a question. Well, the disciples replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus replied, you are blessed Simon, son of John. Because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church. And all the powers of hell will not conquer it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. In the middle of Jesus' ministry and all the way to the end of Jesus' ministry, anybody that saw Jesus knew this person was unique. There was nobody like Jesus. Nobody that preached like Jesus. Nobody that healed like Jesus. Nobody that forgave like Jesus. Nobody that confronted like Jesus. Well, at one time in his ministry, he asked the disciples. He says, I know there's a lot of talk about me, but... But who do you think I am? I know all these other opinions. You've been living with me. You've been seeing me. You've heard my message. No one's had interaction with me like you. Who do you say I am? (laughs) Peter belts it out. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. We've been waiting for the Messiah to come. You're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. And Jesus right away said you 're blessed peter you 're blessed. you hear from God and believe, and I know that this passage is sometimes hard to interpret but but let me just share with you again, maybe the big picture here and it'll help you and I think inspire you if I were to again literally." Uh, translate this right from the original language of Greek. I would say something like this. You are Peter, or I would use the word "petros," And basically that's a pebble, a small rock. So Jesus says, you are a small rock. And on this rock, then he uses the word Petra, which is a rock ledge or a foundation. I will build my church. Peter, You're going to be instrumental, Peter. You are important. You will be foundational. I will build my church with people like you. Folks that know me as Messiah, as Son of God, as Savior, and people who listen to my Father. Those are the folks that I'm going to build my church with. The church will be built little bit by little bit. And nothing, Jesus said, can stop my plans for the church. Nothing can stop my body, the church on earth. Some of your versions, I might say, gates. Uh, of hell or Hades. And really, again, what Jesus is saying here is gates in prison or restrict. And hell and Hades probably really should just be translated, at least in this context, as death. And so what Jesus was saying, even the power of death, Peter, even when you die, just so you know, the movement will continue. Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom. I will give you the opportunity to be able to share good news so that people will be able to enter, be able to understand the kingdom. And we're going to find this out as we open the book of Acts. But in Acts chapter 2, the Jews are given the keys to the kingdom. And then in Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans are going to be given the kingdom. And then the Gentiles will be given the keys of the kingdom in Acts chapter 10. You see, the church was a big deal to Jesus. He wanted them to understand this from the very beginning. Now, let's turn to our text for today. You say, oh my Rick, that was the longest introduction that I have ever heard. And now you're telling me, you know, uh, we are just starting the message. Ha <laughs> ha we are. But this is so good. So Acts chapter 1. All right. Follow along in your, in your Bibles, your flash screens, or the screen. We're going to have this read to us. Acts 1. In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating with them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, In Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Let's go back to verses 1 and 2. In my first book, this is Dr. Luke writing. Okay, Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke. And he is just continuing. This is Luke number 2 or Acts or his second book. In my first book, I told you Theophilus. And by the way, there's not a lot to know about Theophilus. Some people think he was a Roman, some people think he was a lawyer, Uh, he might have even been part of the church, but nobody really knows. So in my first book, Dr. Luke says, I told you, Theopolis, about everything Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Oh, one of the things you're going to see is how dependent not only Jesus is, but all of this early church on the Spirit. You know, there is a little bit of a clue. It helps us a little bit more if you turn back to Luke chapter 24. The very last part of Luke will help us understand just a little bit more of what happened. During this last day. Right before Jesus ascended. I'm going to start reading verse 46. And Jesus said, Yes, it was written a long time ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written, This message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations. Beginning here in Jerusalem, there is forgiveness of sins for all All who repent, you are witnesses of all these things. And now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised. But stay here in this city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power. Then Jesus led them to Bethany and lifting his hands up to heaven, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up to heaven well the plan was clear he told the disciples numerous times and also in matthew 28 right before he left but but this is fun to kind of combine all the different parts of this story He said, you know the prophecies, you know the scriptures, I've just spent three years with you guys, you know the message, my message was very clear from the very beginning, repent, the kingdom of God is here, there is forgiveness if you come to the Messiah. And then he says, you're my witnesses of all these things. We hung out for three years. You saw it all. You will tell others what happened. A witness is not supposed to make something up. A witness is just supposed to be able to tell what they saw. And that was the plan. You are witnesses. But right here, same thing. But now, even though all this has happened, you're ready to go. I want you to wait. I want you to wait for the Spirit. You know, you're going to hear this more than once in this study. We seriously can't do life without the Spirit's empowerment, without the Spirit's leading, without the spirit's energy now some of us can go through the motions but there'll be something lacking as you're going to see in just a moment after jesus gave them these words he blessed them he graced them and then he left he went up into the clouds well acts 1 chapter or, or acts 1 verse 3 During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he actually was alive. And, I encourage you to mark your Bibles if you do that, and and this is a good and. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Jesus appeared after the cross at various times over a 40-day period. Remember, he had prepared his disciples well, but even the night that he was put on trial, everybody scattered. He knew he had to, well, get the troops together again. He knew he had to remind them of the mission. If anybody had prepared them well, Jesus had done that. But for the next 40 days, he just showed up at different times, reminding them over and over and over again, I'm alive. I know you saw me on that cross. I know you put me in that tomb. But I want you to know I am alive. I have conquered death. I am your king. You know, the end result of these appearances was that the apostles became absolutely convinced of the reality of their Lord's physical resurrection. That assurance gave them the boldness to preach the gospel to everyone who crucified Christ. The transformation of the apostles from fearful, cowering skeptics to bold, powerful witness is a potent proof of the resurrection. And I'm going to even say one more thing. It's the difference between someone who is spirit-filled and someone not. So he wanted to make sure that they understood he was alive. But secondly... He wanted to remind them about the kingdom. You know, the message that you heard me speak. The life-giving words that I gave to all the crowds all the time. That the beauty of the kingdom, advancing little bit by little bit by little bit. That life with the king underneath his reign is powerful and productive and useful. And then eventually the promise of a perfect, future, eternal kingdom. I think he wanted to remind them because every one of those apostles were going to go through some extremely difficult times. Then verse 4 and 5. Once when he, Jesus, was eating with them, he commanded them. He commanded them. He didn't suggest. He told them forcefully, don't leave Jerusalem until the Father sends the gift He promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but just in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit during a meal. Isn't that unique in itself that after Jesus died and was resurrected and he's just hanging out with his disciples and and he's eating with them. But at this moment he specifically commanded his followers to stay in Jerusalem until they were baptized by the Holy Spirit. Until the Holy Spirit came to reside in them. Now, let me just remind you, and we're not going to go into great detail at this moment, but in our study, we're going to look deep and hard at that Holy Spirit. But what was so different for these disciples is that in the Old Testament, the time before Acts chapter 2, actually, all right, the Holy Spirit would come and go into saints, Empowering them for service, but not necessarily remaining in them. It's during Acts chapter 2, which we haven't got to yet, it's them waiting for the Spirit to indwell every believer. Every believer. Every child of God. The Holy Spirit right now lives in you. Now again, we're going to talk about indwelling and control, but not today. But that's what the promise was. The promise was wait, wait until the Holy Spirit comes, you'll be baptized, the Holy Spirit will come and live in each one of you. Well really, they had seen Jesus absolutely filled with the Spirit all of his life. That was really, really attractive for these new disciples. And that is what they were thinking of. Whoa, this is going to happen and I'm going to mirror God to others like you did, Jesus. How cool is that? Now, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had spoken about the Holy Spirit. You look back in John 14 and 16, that part right before, it's called the Last Supper, but that part right before Jesus went to the cross. He's got his disciples around this table, and, and he's just kind of giving them some last words. He talked about the Holy Spirit. He talked about the vine, and then he talked more about the Holy Spirit. Then he prayed for them. It's an amazing portion of Scripture but it was during this time he introduced the Spirit again to them the Spirit's never going to leave you I'm going to leave you okay I'm I'm leaving guys but the Spirit's never going to leave you he's going to live in you and he's going to lead you in all truth he's going to reveal truth to you he's going to help you understand all the things I have shared with you so don't be sad Don't be sad. Be glad. It's the best thing that I go so the Holy Spirit can actually come. So wait. Wait. Wait for the Spirit. The message over and over in the book of Acts. You can't do ministry. You can't do life. You can't do anything without the Spirit. And then verses 6 and 7. So when the apostles who were with Jesus? They kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has authority to set these dates and times, and they're not for you to know. I don't know Jesus' emotions right here. I don't know if he was just really sad. Sad maybe that they didn't understand the message completely or totally at this moment? Sad because he's telling them of of an exciting time and and they go theological with him? I don't know. But Jesus kindly answers and says, hey guys, the Father knows that information and actually it's not any of your business. But, but, look at verse 8, but circle this, look at it, underline it, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. But... When the Spirit comes upon you, when the Spirit indwells you, when the Spirit controls you, when He fills you, you will receive power. And what does that mean? Simply put, you're going to do things that you don't normally do. You're going to think things and thoughts that you didn't normally think. You're going to say words that you normally wouldn't say. You will begin to mirror me, Jesus said, to the world. You had me for all these years, Jesus said. But as the Spirit fills you, and as the Spirit empowers you, you will forgive folks like Jesus forgave. You will grace others. You will love others. You will serve others. Even those that you know are going to betray you in a few hours? Who does that? Who gets mutilated up on a cross and says, Father, forgive them? All the ones that spit on me, the ones that beat me, the ones that scourge me. Father, would you forgive them? <laughs> you, you don't do that in and of yourself. That is the Holy Spirit who's got control of you and is chipping away the selfishness in you and in me so that we might be able to talk and think and do the way Jesus did. He said, hey, not only that will happen, you're going to have power when that Spirit comes, but hey, just normally you're going to be my witnesses. That's it you're going to tell people about me every day do you realize that witnessing or evangelism is probably one of the scariest things for believers actually even talk about much less do but jesus never told us we're supposed to convince anybody of who god is or that we're supposed to be smart enough so that we can answer every question you'll see over and over even in the book of acts all they're doing, uh, they're witnesses, telling them about Jesus and their relationship with Jesus and how Jesus has changed their life. I once was dead, but now I'm alive. It's because of Jesus. How cool. How life giving. But you're going to be my witnesses, telling people everywhere, you're going to start first here in Jerusalem. And what we're going to see in the book of Acts is they probably would have stayed in Jerusalem because it was their comfort zone. But we're going to see how God pushed them out to people and areas and focused on spots. They were not at all comfortable at all. But you're going to start in Jerusalem and then all of Judea, and then into Samaria, and into places you don't even have a clue about. You see, it's undeniable when the Spirit lives in you. And let me say that again. You can try to convince others that you love Jesus, but when the Spirit has control of you, when the Spirit is living in you, you don't have to try to convince others because people are going to look at you and say, wow, you're incapable of talking like that. You're incapable of loving people like that. You're incapable of being generous like that. You're incapable of forgiving like that. It just doesn't make sense. God must be living in you. You have power when the Spirit lives in you, and you will be my witness when the Spirit lives in you. You are going to see, and I am going to see, the impact a Spirit-filled church has on the world. And then verse 9 through 11. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. Uh, They strained to see him rising into heaven. Two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you staring up into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he'll return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Seems like an odd question. I mean, if you're standing there and Jesus is talking with you and kind of encouraging you, and I don't know how fast he went. I don't know if he kind of just slowly went up into the clouds. But, but it probably would have been a little bothersome. I mean, let's just admit it. So you're looking up there like, is he going to come back? Is he up there for good? What's going on? And then two guys show up in white robes. A man of Galilee. Well, why are you staring? It's almost like, hey, Jesus had told you all about this. He said he was going to leave. What's the big deal? He's gone. But I do want to just share with you, I know he left. I know he left. But someday, he's going to come back and receive all of those who are part of the church. He's going to bring them back with Him and they are going to live with Him forever. But right now, I, and He doesn't say this, but I, I think He's implying this. He just talked to you. He just says, hey, your job is to wait. Your job is to make sure you are Spirit-filled because you need power and you're going to be a witness and you are going to change the world. That's God's plan. All you guys, for the most part, uneducated. For the most part, quite emotional. You, you're my plan. That's what's going to happen. Now let's jump back to Luke chapter 24 because I didn't finish reading the last two verses there. And it tells us a little bit of actually what happened. It's kind of fun. Starting at verse 52. Okay, Jesus was taken up to heaven. They're up there gazing. So, as soon as that happened, they worshipped him and returned back to Jerusalem with joy. I actually think that's a big deal. First of all, again, they're understanding that this was God. But instead of tears, instead of mourning their good friend, they went back to Jerusalem with joy. They were anticipating this. Okay, I've seen the Spirit. When is that Spirit coming? This is going to be amazing. God, you are awesome. Thank you, God. You chose me. I get to do this? This is unbelievable. I don't know if they skipped. I don't think so. But they were pretty happy. And they go back to Jerusalem. Jerusalem. And this is how they spent their time. And we will again continue next week in this book. But they spent all of their time in the temple praising God. They had no idea what God was going to ask them to do, they had no idea the assignments that were going to come to them. They honestly, I don't think, had an idea that God was going to use this crew to literally reach a world. Just a few takeaways before I end with prayer. Acts chronicles the initial stages of that unfinished work. That's where we get the title of this series. It sets a path for the church to follow all the way to the end. And we are the church. God's work of redemption is completed, which simply means the church's work of making disciples begins. Making disciples takes two parts, and we're going to see this. It's evangelism, step number one. It's telling others about Jesus. How wonderful, how amazing, how life-giving his words are. What kind of a friend he is. And how much he loved them because he died in their place. <laughs> Whoa! That's good news. And part two is once these folks get saved, they come into faith In Matthew, it tells us, hey, I want you to teach all of them to literally obey all the commandments that I've given you. So the first commandment was loving God. So you are working with people, helping them connect with God and become intimate with God so that they can bear fruit. This is exciting. This is thrilling. This is God's plan. Helping them grow. Helping them understand all that the Bible has to say. Encouraging them to love others well. Those inside the church serving and equipping them. And those outside the church. Those who have not yet been redeemed. So be encouraged. Be excited. The time has come to finish what Jesus started. We can look at this year as, oh boy, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know when I'm going to school. I don't know when my job's returning. I don't. And you know what? I don't either. But I do know this. God is not surprised. God is working to redeem a very chaotic and confused world. And his plan is you and me. Oh, yeah. You and me. I'm so grateful. I'm overwhelmed by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your plan. It seems kind of goofy to us at times, but, but God, we don't have any clue at times, how wonderful and gracious you are. Lord, we've put you in a box. We've tried to do church in our own power. We've even tried to evangelize and make disciples by working really hard. God, I do think it's all intentional. But I think it all starts with just understanding your way and your plan you want us to thrive and we can because of the Holy Spirit living in us God give us grace to do what you want us to do in spite of 2021 we love you in Jesus name amen